0: Hey, good morning everybody. How we doing, everybody doing good? Everybody doing good? Hey, uh, there is a lot, there's so much happening at Refuge here in the coming weeks and I'm very excited. Uh, Next week, I gotta give you the the rundown, next week we have our very first, uh, I'm excited about this, so I would like it if you guys were excited about this. We have our very first baptism service next week. Yeah, super, super excited about that. It's gonna be amazing, cannot wait to celebrate Uh, how God is moving here at Refuge. And so um, if you wanna be in the splash zone, these first few rows right here, we're gonna have the baptistry right here. Uh, And then afterwards, it's a portable hot tub, so we'll turn the bubbles on, you guys can relax. It's gonna be, uh, no, but hey, if you are interested in getting baptized or maybe you have questions about getting baptized, what does that look like? Maybe your kids have questions. Uh, If you would text the word DUNK, D-U-N-K, to 405-777-4637, we would love to follow up with you. Uh, and just see how God is moving in your life, and maybe maybe even uh, get you baptized next week. I'd be excited. Uh, and then just a few weeks after that, so two weeks after that, really, we have our Christmas Eve service. Um, everybody, you should have one of these in your in your seat, or maybe you moved it in the seat over you because uh, you didn't want to sit on it. Uh, but hey, uh, whatever you hold one of these up, I want to make sure everybody got one. And this is like that, that awkward silence. If you don't hold it up, the teacher's going to wait for everybody to do it before they start going, okay? Uh, take one of the... All right, I see you guys, I'm going to hit you after service. Okay. Hey, take one of these, uh, put it in your pocket, make sure and invite somebody to Christmas Eve service, okay? Uh, it's going to be a super fun service, it's going to be a family service, we're all going to be in here, uh, we're going to have hot chocolate, we're going to have a photo drop, we're going to have little gifts for your kids, and little coloring things for them to do while they're in here with us uh, during the service. Uh, it's going to be an amazing time. But hey, take that card, invite somebody, uh, you never know what God might do with just one simple act, and the simple act of just... Would you wanna come to my church? Would you love to come on this Christmas Eve service? Uh, And here's the deal. There's these natural times where people will say yes, where they feel like they would be more inclined to go than any other time, and that's at Christmas and Easter. Like those, There's just stats. Shoot your shot, all right? You know how to make sure a friend doesn't come, to make sure that a neighbor doesn't come, if you don't invite them, they don't know about it. So make sure and shoot your shot, invite them. Uh, That's what those invite cards are for. And today, we are in week three of our swing series. Throughout this series, we've been looking at people in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is commonly referred to as the hall of faith. There are people who did ama- God did amazing things through because of their faith. And I've been up front with you guys and I'm gonna continue to be up front. I got two goals for this series. And they're for us, they're for me and they're for you. I want you to take your next step of faith, or whatever that is. And as we're going to look at today, sometimes those next steps can be a little overwhelming, All right, They can get us going. They get us around. Uh, I want you to take that next step of your faith, and I want you to swing for the fences, to go dream big and to go Grand Canyon on it. Uh, and here's the deal. We are human, so most of us, when we hear that, go Grand Canyon, when we hear swing for the fences, we think that's for someone else, like, like, my faith is not that great, that faith is for somebody else, that is not for me. God doesn't use people like me, so just, just if that's where you're at, to hear me on this, God specializes in using people just like you. All these people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, right? they had flaws, they had faults, and some of them had like some pretty serious flaws and faults. It wasn't that they had it all together, it was that they had faith. And here's how Jesus said it uh, in Matthew 17, uh, verse 20. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. You don't have to have this big, audacious faith. This mustard seed sized faith is enough. Jesus says, if you got that mustard seed size faith, just that little bit, uh, you could move mountains, nothing would be impossible. So don't compare your faith to theirs, these people that we've looked at, that might get you into trouble comparing and measuring. Uh, Look at what's the same. The object of your faith is the same. Your faith is in the same God, is in the same Jesus that they have, all right? And I'm I'm gonna use this illustration every week. If this right here was a frozen lake, and it had six inches of ice on it, all right? And I, uh, it wouldn't matter if I stepped out onto that frozen ice, if it's six inches thick, it doesn't matter if I'm shaky, it doesn't matter if I'm weak, I I don't know if this is gonna hold me. If it's six inches, regardless of whether I think it will or not, it's going to hold me. Right? It doesn't matter if I'm shaky or I have doubts, it's gonna hold me. My faith is not giving the ice strength. The ice is strong because it's six inches deep, that's how it works. The other, think about it the other way too, If I had absolute confidence in this half inch of ice, this half inch of ice is going to hold me. I I changed it. So if it's it's just half an inch and I'm like, this is going to hold me, it doesn't matter how much faith I have in that ice. I'm going through. I'm going to get wet. It is not going to hold me. Because half an inch isn't going to hold a person. My faith, our faith, doesn't increase the strength of what we're putting it into. No, no, no. Uh, We need to make sure we put our faith into something that is already strong. And so we put Jesus as the object of our faith. He will never fail. That's why that mustard seed is more than enough. Just taking that step, He's going to let you be. He's not going to let you fall, He's not going to let you be shaken. And so, as we dive into a new member of the Hall of Faith today, I actually um, don't be discouraged by these things that you see. You've seen God do these amazing things, thinking God could never do that in me. I'm not like them. You don't have to be like them. You serve the same God that they do. So be encouraged. God worked through them. He lives in you, and he can work through you too. All right, let's pause before we get into the word today. Let's pause and pray. God, just give us focus. Give us eyes to see what you have for us in your word. Let us have a faith that that perseveres and keeps trusting and moving forward even when it looks bleak increase our faith in you. Fill us today. Guide our time together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hey, the character we're looking at today in Hebrews 11 is Joseph. And some of you guys might be thinking, that makes sense. We're going to look at uh, Joseph, the guy who married Mary. I probably should have worded that differently. Uh, But no, we're not looking at that Joseph. Uh, We're looking at Uh, The Joseph from the Old Testament. So Joseph is actually the great grandson of Abraham. We talked about Abraham uh, last week. Uh, A little context before we get into the verse just on Joseph's parents. Um, uh, His dad was Jacob, and his mother was Rachel. Uh, Without getting into uh, too much of the detail there, uh, Joseph, he's the baby of the group, and not only is he the baby of his family. Uh, but dad had kids with four different women. That's the, that's what we're not going to go into the details to there. Uh, but anyways, uh, Rachel, Joseph's mom, that was uh, Jacob's one true love. Like, he, he thought he was marrying Rachel, and his father-in-law actually hooked him up with her sister. And like, yeah, they, we don't have time to go down into all that, okay? It was kind of crazy. But he is the youngest, and he is of... Uh, the love of his father's life, right? That's where he comes from. And so uh, it's important to remember that he's the the family of the baby because he gets some of this special treatment. So you're like, okay, that makes a little sense. Babies get a little bit of the special treatment. Any babies in here, youngest in the family, all right? Uh, That's me as well, all right? You guys are spoiled, okay? I'm I'm right there with you. And so this is Joseph, he's there as well. But then not only that, he's from uh, his father's, the love of his father's life. That's where he's come from. And so uh, it gives a little context to this verse as we read it. Uh, it's in Genesis, it's verse, or chapter 37, verse three. Jacob, that's dad, loved Joseph, the baby. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Put a pin in it, All right. Don't ever say that you love any of your children more than your other children, just decide. Okay, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age, right? He had all these other kids, never from uh, Rachel, and they were all from other ladies, and so uh, he's in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Some people call this a robe of many colors, a coat of many colors. It's a beautiful robe. Verse four, but... (laughs) His brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of him. They couldn't say a kind word to him. All right, so hey, uh, Jacob, he shows his favoritism to his son. He has this beautiful robe made for Joseph. Uh, And some people think that the reason he gave this to Jacob, or Jacob gave this to Joseph, was uh, a physical representation of him being like the favorite one. Like this is like, hey, I'm gonna put this on you so that everybody knows like the chosen one right here. Uh, And so uh, it's that kind of almost showing this is what the dad has in store for him. Like I want you to lead, I want you to be in charge. Uh, And so uh, at my house, we count M&Ms to make sure everything is equal. Jacob's running a little bit of a different ship. Okay, he's like, this is the one. All my eggs are in this basket. And it says that his brothers hated him because his father loved him more than the rest. They couldn't even say a kind word about him. They hated baby brother because he got all of the special treatment. And I think on some sort of level, we understand uh, a little, some resentment towards uh, the favor or discontent with that. But here's the deal. That seed of sin, it doesn't need much room to grow. And their hate didn't just manifest in a lack of kind words; it actually gets a little bit more uh, than that. And so Joseph, he he doesn't like say, "Hey, I know you guys don't like me." He doesn't like pull punches. He doesn't put their minds at ease. Um, this next verse, it's unclear if Joseph does this intentionally, or like if he's like rubbing it in their faces, or if he's just naively telling his brothers about something he experienced. Uh, with zero awareness about how they would receive it. Uh, but here's what it says in, in verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. What happened in that dream, right? <laughs> That's what we want to know. Uh, he tells his brothers this dream. His brothers hate him more than ever because of this dream. Uh, basically, here, here's the dream. Uh, Joseph is uh, working with his brothers, and they're ty- tying up bundles of grain. And this, this is a dream, okay? So in the dream, uh, all of a sudden, Joseph's bundle, it stands up, and then his brother's bundles gather around, and they bow to Joseph's bundle. Not Joseph, Joseph's bundle, all right? And so Joseph tells this to his brothers, and his brothers are like, they, they respond pretty much how you would expect a brother to respond. Here's what it says in uh, verse eight. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And then uh, here, here's what's funny is uh, Joseph kind of doubles down on this. He goes and he has another dream. Uh, and this time it's not just his, his bundle and his uh, brother's bundles. It says the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down before him. But this time Joseph gets wise. He's like, hey, I'm not telling my siblings. I'm going to tell dad. Dad's going to be pumped for me. He's got me this beautiful coat. Like he's going to be excited. Uh, and Jacob tells him, you think your mother and I will bow down to you. Uh, I can just hear like what we would say now in this world. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of this world. Don't you think I'm bending in the knee to you, right? Like, like that's kind of how we would think. And so that's kind of what Jacob says here is like, you think your mom and I are gonna bow down to you? And so some time goes by, just a little bit, and Jacob sends Joseph out to the field. He says, hey, go check on your brothers and go check on the flock. Uh, I just notice the brothers are out there working they're checking, they're working on the flock, they're doing the heavy labor. Joseph, go get the status update. Right, there's already a little bit of uh, favoritism there. And so here, here's what happens. This is where it starts to get really, really crazy. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. And I think like this next verse is just one of those It's like, yeah, I can like, I don't know. It just it makes me feel like I can feel the Bible because this is something that I feel like I would say if I was in their situation. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Like they are just getting down on their brother. Come on, let's kill. I don't resonate with this one, okay? Hey, Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what comes What becomes of his dreams um (laughs) my brother's coming we're out here working he said we're going to bow down to him you know what let's throw him into one of these cisterns and let's just kill him and then reuben the reuben is the the oldest brother he gets wind of this and as the eldest he says hey instead of killing him let's just throw him into this empty cistern uh, and he will die all on his own like we'll just throw him in there he'll be stuck he'll die we won't have to. We won't have to kill him. It won't be on our hands. And the reason Reuben is saying this, his big brother, uh, is he wants to come back and save Joseph after everyone else leaves. Uh, and there's what's funny is there some people who think he didn't say that so that he could save his brother's life. He did that so that he could get the credit for saving his brother's life, and so that his dad would give him some favor. It's like this is a, a jacked up family. Uh, if your family is jacked up, I don't think it's this jacked up. Okay. Uh, but here's the deal. He knows he can't convince them to stop. But if he does this, he can provide a way for Joseph to live. So uh, Joseph gets there, and his brothers, uh, some of them are still there, they rip his beautiful robe off, and they throw him into the cistern. As they are getting ready to eat and kind of relax after a hard day of uh, bundling some grain and throwing their brother into a hole, uh, what happens is a group of Ishmaelite traders, they're moving through. And one of the brothers says, instead of killing him and having to cover our tracks, let's just sell him. Like, let's at least make, like, he's trying to be economical here. We can make some money in this situation. Uh, Here's what he says in verse 27. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. (laughs) After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. He's our own flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. Uh, So they sold their own brother as a slave to these Ishmaelite traders, the people who are coming through. Uh, Reuben, he wasn't there, because it says that big brother Reuben, he comes back to save Joseph, and he is distraught because he's gone. He's not there. What has happened? So the other brothers to cover their tracks, uh, they they take the coat that they've got from their brother, they rip it up, dip it in some blood, and they show it to their father to kind of make it look like something's gotten to him. And uh, here's how how Jacob uh, receives this news. In verse 34, remember this is his favorite, favorite child. It says, then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to the grave mourning for my son. And then he would weep. He thinks his son is gone. He's never getting him back. And all the while, uh, Joseph is not dead. Uh, He's transported to Egypt. He's sold to a man named uh, Potiphar. He's an officer of Pharaoh's. And Potiphar is actually the captain of the palace guard. So his family, his father, is mourning like deeply and then he's over here he's sold to somebody he's a he's a servant he's a slave for someone Potiphar. and here's uh here's what it says in genesis 39 verse 2 and he when he gets there i think this is really important the lord was joseph so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his egyptian master and god was with joseph He's abandoned by his brothers and uh, removed from all of his family. God was with him. Sounds like, okay, hey, God's with him. Um, he's going to succeed at everything he did. Maybe things are on the up and up. Maybe things are going to turn out good. And so Apocrypha puts Joseph over his entire house because he saw that God had his hand of blessing on Joseph. Uh, And there's something that happens. When you get to a certain level of success, people notice, right? It makes you uh, desirable to others. Uh, I think it's uh, the movie, Welcome to Mooseport, Where they're talking about like this old lady is competing with ray romano or this old man and ray romano are competing for this lady's love and this like old man used to be the president and then this he's talking to somebody else she wouldn't go with him he's like an old man and i'm like young and uh this lady goes he used to be the president and he's rich you take those into account he's basically younger than you all right Uh, when you get to a certain level of success it makes you become a little bit more desirable right it makes people look to you and with that uh, there is a temptation around the corner as well, right? It comes at a cost. And so uh, here's what it says uh, in verse 6. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibilities over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. I want a gig like that. I don't have to worry about anything, but what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man let's see what it says in verse 7 and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully come and sleep with me she demanded and Joseph responds the same way that we should to temptation he says how could I do such a wicked thing it would be a great sin against God doesn't say what would be in it for me what would be in it for the people around you he says what about God? What about the one who's been with me? What about the one who's made me succeed? How could I do such a wicked thing? But Potiphar's wife, she continues to put pressure on Joseph. Hey, come with me, come with me, day after day after day. And Joseph refuses, and he tries to keep away from her as much as possible. We get that in Scripture. Uh, but one day, uh, she gets a hold of his cloak, all right, his outer garment, and, and Joseph took off. And he, he's literally running away from sin. Uh, he escaped sin, but his cloak... Didn't And so what happens is Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph. He's saying, he, he sexually assaulted me. And, and Joseph is thrown uh, wrongfully into prison for, for a crime that he never committed. He was actually fleeing from the crime, and, but it was her word against his, and he was a foreigner, and he was just a servant. So he goes into jail. Gets into prison. Here's what it says. But the Lord was... The Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. The Lord was with him. Joseph was never without God. Now we keep going. Uh, very similar to uh, Potiphar, here's what it says The warden had no more worries. No more worries because Joseph took care of. Of everything, the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He's never alone. He's never alone. And this this interesting thing that happens while he's in prison: he has two fellow prisoners, and uh, they have these crazy dreams. And you can go look them up. They're just. A few verses past this but talks about all, the, all these wild things and basically Joseph uh, he interprets both of them and exactly what he predicts comes to happen he says hey uh, I heard uh, your dream sorry bro uh, that means that you're gonna die and he, he got it right all right uh, we won't go down that one uh, and then the other guy he says hey uh, after hearing your dream here's what's gonna happen uh, you're gonna be restored to your position and, and that happens. And, and Joseph even tells him, hey, when you're restored, don't forget me down here. Uh, do not forget me. This guy gets restored, guess what happens? He forgets about Joseph. Uh, he doesn't remember him until uh, the king has a dream. And the king has all these people come and say, hey, what does this dream mean? Can you interpret this to me? Uh, and nobody can do it. And then this guy who gets restored, he said, hey, I know a guy, there was a guy in the prison who was able to interpret dreams. I'll go get him, I forgot about him. <laughs> Like, my life was good, Joseph's still in prison, I'm, I'm good. Uh, so he goes, and he gets Joseph, and Joseph comes, and he interprets the dream to uh, the king, one that nobody else could do, and uh, he tells him, hey, here's what your dream means. It means you're gonna, we're gonna have seven years of abundance. We're gonna have seven years of just prosperity, of things going well, and then right after that, we're gonna have seven years of famine. We need to prepare so that we can make it through uh, the famine. And things uh, start to fall into place exactly uh, as Joseph said they would. Uh, And I want to pause right there and say it's not because Joseph was special. It was because God was with him. And so uh, it's kind of wild. the pharaoh, he actually puts Joseph second in command in Egypt. He's like, clearly uh, you are wise and discerning. Uh, Joseph is 30 years old at this point. Second in command of a country. Uh, sub-30 crowd, right? Oh. 30s crowd? 30s crowd, there we go. Uh, second, in, second in command of an entire country. I feel like I'm underperforming, right? I gotta step, I gotta step it up. Uh, so, hey, that's pretty young Joseph. What he, do, he does a great job of preparing for the coming famine. And when the famine comes, uh, here's what happens. They've got all this stuff stored up from these years of prosperity and abundance. And uh, people from around Egypt come to Egypt because they need to get some food. They need to get some grain because they they don't have any. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to find food because they didn't have any back home. Joseph's 10 older brothers get grain uh, because Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, he won't allow the baby of the family to go. Like, he's got some trauma. Like, I lost my, my child. It's not going to happen again. Hey, big brothers, you go. Uh, I'm going to keep Benjamin back. He's, Benjamin is Joseph's full-blooded brother. Uh, he doesn't even know that he has existed yet because he got born after uh, he, he, was, he was dead, or his family thought that he was dead. And so his dad, Jacob, can't stand the thought of losing another son. He's like, hey, you ten are going to go, and then I'm going to keep him uh, back here. And here, he, this is where it really, really starts to get... Interesting. The brothers come and guess who they were into in charge of distributing the food out to people? Uh, Little bro, right? Uh, and so much time has passed. It says uh, it was about 20 years. When Joseph was sold into slavery, he was about 17 years old. Uh, his brothers were older. He gets into power around age 30, and then seven years of prosperous cops around then. Uh, so he, he recognizes them right out the gate because they were older than him. Uh, but he was 17, and it's been 20 years later. They didn't recognize him as their nearly 40-year-old brother, who they think uh, is, yeah, why would he be in charge? We sold him as a slave. So Joseph is in the driver's seat with the very people who sold him into slavery, and they don't know it's him. They don't know that we know that we know, right? Uh, They don't know it's him. And so he's about to have some fun with it. So they come in, and he accuses them of being spies. He's trying to blow their cover. He's like, oh, if you're really a spy, well, what about this? And so he starts asking them about their family. uh, And then he finds out "I have a little brother. I got a brother I haven't met. And not, not only that, he's my full-blooded brother. I didn't even have one of those. So he says, hey, I'll give you guys the grain, uh, but uh, I, I want you to bring your, your younger brother back so I can, you can prove to me that you're not lying. You can say, this was my family, and you can actually say that. You're gonna leave one of your brothers here. Go, drop the grain off, bring your youngest brother back, and come visit me so I know you're telling the truth. Uh, that's what they think. I was like, man, he's testing us, and Joseph's just kind of sitting there going, I wanna meet, I wanna meet my, my family, I wanna meet my brother. And so uh, they debate on what to do and they, they end up leaving a brother there to kind of draw, <laughs> draw, draw straws, who's gonna stay? Uh, and they go back and they, they got the grain and then they're gonna come back with their younger brother. And, and Joseph, he's, he's kind of rude, kind of harsh to them whenever they interact but uh, he actually takes care of them every step away. They go to stop on their journey home and they find out that all their money is still in the packs. That they still got the money they were supposed to pay for the grain and it's still in their packs. And they're like, oh my gosh. They're going to say, we tried to steal this. We tried to steal the grain. We didn't have to pay. Uh, he was already so rude to us. Uh, they get home. They tell dad, hey, this is what happened. And uh, we got to bring back Benjamin. We got to bring, bring, back, bring back baby brother. The one son that he had with Rachel. Uh, and Rachel, we actually see it recorded in Scripture. That she actually died during childbirth. So not only is it the baby of the family but it's the only thing that he has to remember his wife by the only child he has to remember his wife by and, and he Jacob is absolutely distraught and so uh, one of the brothers finally convinces him hey if we don't send Benjamin to go dad uh, we are all going to die because we, <laughs> we don't have anything to eat what, what are we going to do how are we going to make it and so uh, they convince him and uh, the brothers, they make it back to Egypt with double the money because they don't want to be accused of theft and they want to. Uh, they have their younger brother Benjamin with them. And the first thing they try to do when they get back is say, hey, take this money, please. Like they want to be like over the top. Can you take care of this? Like we want to do this, we want to do this right. We did not steal this, it was still in our bags. I'm so sorry. And the manager uh, that they're dealing with says, hey, it's all taken care of. Uh, Joseph wants to have you guys over for dinner. And they're kind of like, Uh, What what does that mean? This feels like a trap. Um, And and it says this in in 43, verse 26. Uh, So they they beat Joseph to his house. Uh, When Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought him, then bowed low to the ground before him. And Joseph goes, ha, gotcha, right? No, 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 no. Uh, but remember, that's what, it, that's what he said in the beginning of the story. That's what his dream said. the dream that ultimately got him sold into slavery. And Joseph doesn't say, I told you so. His first question is, how's your father? How's your dad doing? Which is really, how's my dad doing? Is he still going? Is he still alive? And then after he asks about his dad and they tell him, yeah, he's still going, uh, he says, hey, how's, how's your younger brother? Uh, my, my younger brother that I've never met. And uh, at this moment, Joseph, is he's struggling to keep it together. I'm sure there's like a million thoughts running through his head. As he sees Benjamin come in, he, he's like, man, I see a little bit of mom. I see a little bit of dad. I haven't seen him in years. Um, thinking about all this time that he hasn't had with his, with his only full-blooded brother. And uh, it says uh, in verse 30, uh, that I think Joseph had a very human response. He hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotions for his brother. He went into the private room where he broke down and wept. He's like, I can't keep it. I can't keep it all together. Whew. After that, he comes out, composes himself, and says, Hey, let's eat. So they eat. Uh, one little tidbit it says that he gave uh, Benjamin five times as much food as everybody else so he has a favorite too uh, it's a generational curse they got favorites <laughs> they can't take care of that um, uh, and after they eat Joseph he, he loads them up with as much grain as they can carry and again he had them return all their money uh, and then he does one more thing because uh, you know he, they let the other brother that stayed there back with them uh, and he tells his servants, says, hey would you put uh, my personal cup, my, my, my cup, that's mine, would you put it in the, the youngest one's bag? Uh, and so he has his palace manager wait for them to just get out of town, uh, and then he chases them down. He says, you guys have stolen my master's cup, like his personal cup. And the brothers, they, they vehemently deny it. They say, if you find this cup with any of us, let that man die, and all the rest of us, my lord, we will be your slaves. Like, if you find it, kill him, and we'll come serve you forever, right? And they are completely broken when they find the cup in Benjamin's back. And so they start going back, and they are pleading with Joseph. Hey, uh, take, take me instead. Kill me instead. Uh, because if you, if you take him, if you kill him, our father isn't going to make it. Like, this is all he's holding on to. Don't, don't do this. And uh, it's at this point that Joseph, uh, he... He can't hold it any longer. He, he's understood what his brothers are saying this whole time, but he's been using a translator, and so uh, here's what he says in, in the next chapter over, in verse four, he says, please come closer. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves, for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God actually used this insane circumstance to save this family. To have Joseph uh, take care of all the preparation and being in a position of power and authority and ability to save his family from severe famine. Don't be angry for selling me to this place. I don't know about you guys, but. I don't think I would have responded that way. To my own family who, who sold me into slavery, I, I'd be struggling a little bit. So if we fast forward a little bit, uh, Joseph, he has his whole family, his dad and all, everything he has, uh, they move into Egypt because of the famine, because Joseph's saying, Dad's t- uh, God's taking care of us, Dad. Come on, I can take care of everybody. You don't have to keep coming back back and forth and traveling just come set up camp here I'm gonna take care of everything uh, and uh, eventually his father Jacob he, he dies in his old age in Egypt and that brings about some new some new worries there uh, all of his brothers are like so yeah Joseph was pretty cool about the fact that we sold him into slavery but we think that's because dad was alive We're afraid with dad gone that now he's going to flex his muscles and be like, you get some wrath. They're not really grieving their dad. They're fearful of their brother. And and Jacob says this. This is uh, an amazing verse. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. When was the last time you were wronged? Someone intentionally harmed you. When you were walking with God and you said, you know, you intended this for evil, but God intended it all for good. That takes some serious faith. We got to see Joseph go through some incredible trials. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's accused of sexual assault. He's forgotten in prison. And yet, each time, it was as if God used that situation to propel Joseph to greater heights, to do a work in him. And what I find amazing is that as we go through Hebrews 11, uh, none of these acts of faith that we just went through are mentioned there. It only mentions one act of faith with Joseph. One act says this, Hebrews 11, verse 22. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Uh, Joseph's family was uh, waiting for the promised land to his great-grandpa, Abraham. We talked about that last week. And then during that famine, everyone moved back to Egypt, and it was a place they could live and a place they could survive. Um, and Joseph, uh, he didn't want to forget about that promise that God had given to his great-grandpa. He, he wanted to remember. Here's his exact words uh, in 50:24 says, "Soon I will die, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt." And he will bring you back to the promised land, to the land he solemnly promised to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. It says that Joseph died at age 110. And we know that he was second in command at, around, uh, at age 30. It's 80 years at the top of the food chain everything taken care of, no worries, why? Why would you want to leave that? You're set because Joseph believed God promised land to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and he looked at that promise that God had given him and said, I believe in that. And when that time comes, don't leave my bones here. Bury me in the land God has promised us. He believed what he could not see. And that's exactly what faith is. Hebrews 11.1, all right? we've, We've read this before, but let's do it again. My bad. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Joseph's faith wasn't tossed, He wasn't shaken. He wasn't stirred by the disasters that happened around him. Uh, and I can tell you, he experienced disasters more wild than any of us, probably ever will. His faith was unwavering to God. He believed that God would work it all out. God's got it. I, I don't know what's going on in the details of your life. I don't know. But hear me on this. God is working it all out. It might seem like you just keep getting hit with haymaker after haymaker from the enemy. But those things the enemy intended for evil, God will use for good. I believe that. Don't lose hope. God will work it all out. He will. If if God can take the the worst thing, the loss of the child, he lost his son, Jesus, and if he can take that horrible thing, to lose a child and turn it into our salvation, he's big enough to handle our problems. We can trust him. We can have faith in him. Do you trust him? Is your faith in him? Doesn't have to be big. Doesn't have to be this bold faith. All it takes is that little mustard seed faith. Just enough to keep going, to put one foot in front of the other. It's not our faith that needs to be strong. We put our faith in the one who is strong. He has got this. Whatever you're walking through right now. God is right there with you. The same God who was with Joseph in the hole, who was with Joseph at Potiphar's house, who was with Joseph in prison, the same God is with you. Wherever you're at, God is walking right there with you. You're not alone. That mustard seed faith to take that next step, however little or however big it is, to take it. Let's pray.